0: We can't do anything about six months from now. We've got to go day by day. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. We're playing New Jersey, man, so there's going to be some chippiness, there's going to be some griminess, but we're leaving it within the line. And I'll take a team like that.
1: Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant.
0: Welcome,
2: everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. I am your aforementioned host, Art Stapleton. We have entered week four of the NFL season, and for the Giants, it's dire straits. 0-3, boy, and this stretch that's coming up is going to be a hellish run for Joe Judge and company to try to get back into the division race and really try to find some... Some sense of satisfaction or stem the tide, if you will. They're 0-3 for the second straight year. Obviously, in Joe Judge's first season, the Giants started 0-5. They ended up 6-10. But for a Giants fan base that has experienced a ton of losing, really the most losing in the NFL since 2017, I'll get into that in a moment. But there's a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, And we'll see how the Giants, if they can, kind of turn that around for their fan base. It's going to be a big challenge in New Orleans this weekend. We'll get into that in a second. On today's show, an interview I had with Graham Gano, probably the best Giants player over the first three weeks of the season. He's on the verge of some history. He's had a great year so far. And obviously, when you have a kicker who has a great year... It's probably says a lot about your offense and the lack of explosion. And that's what the giants have had offensively. But I talked to Graham about a bunch of different things, obviously history, whether he believes in jinxes and more to that in the interview. Also talked to him about being on both sides of walk-off field goals. Cause he's experienced the highs and the lows and the emotional toll that that can take. So he can really speak to that and what's in the mind of the kicker. Last two weeks, Dustin Hopkins, and then for the Giants this weekend, falling victim to Young Ho Ku at the end of the game at MetLife Stadium. Another devastating loss for the Giants. Then in our Behind me line segment, Luke Johnson, the New Orleans advocate and the Times-Picayune. Great beat writer for the Saints. He'll give us the lowdown of what life after Drew Brees is like, Jameis Winston, and what the last month or so has been like covering the Saints, really away from New Orleans after Hurricane Ida. And obviously our best wishes go to everyone down there in Louisiana, having to deal with, yet again, uh, a natural disaster and the fallout from that. We all remember Katrina. And here in New Jersey, where I'm based, we remember Sandy. Uh, Obviously, Ida took its toll on New Orleans, and we'll be heading down there this weekend. No one's ever going to question the resilience of the city of New Orleans. So, as we go into this weekend for the Giants, you know, I've seen it written, you know, the honeymoon is over, quote unquote, for Joe Judge. And I'm not sure if this was really ever a honeymoon. Uh, I do think that it's very difficult for a fan base and really the media and anyone who's assessing the Giants to just treat this as Joe Judge's tenure. Because let's be honest, he's 6-13. and 13. He's had 19 games. Now, you would expect to be able to judge someone after 19 games, but you might need a little bit longer time. And the idea that here we are again and there's some... Rumblings from outside the organization that you know is Joe Judge on the hot seat. I, I don't believe that's the case, but I I do think that there needs to be some urgency here. And it's not that Joe Judge isn't showing the urgency behind the scenes, because I believe from everything I'm hearing that he is. It's a matter of publicly, and Judge is gonna stay as even keel as possible because he doesn't believe he want he doesn't believe in sending a message. ...to his team that there's panic, that the noise is proper of outside the organization, that things are in disarray. You know, I've seen that written also, that things are in disarray. Well, I don't necessarily agree with that either. I think the football right now is a problem, but I do not believe on the inside of that building that they feel as though this is just an extension of Ben McAdoo to Pat Shermer and now to Joe Judge. But the only thing that's going to change that perception is going to be winning. And the Giants this weekend are certainly not favored to win. And that brings us to our friends at Tipico. Tipico Sportsbook, a global sports betting leader, is now live in New Jersey and Colorado. They've got the Giants underdogs by 7.5 to the Saints in New Orleans. Is that a game you want to bet this weekend? will make your favorite sports more interesting with Tipico's fast and easy mobile sportsbook app. For a limited time, new users from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Terms and conditions apply, 21 and over. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. So when you come off the high of having... Eli Manning as a guest last week, and again, thanks to Eli Manning uh, for coming on for for really being as candid as as he could and talking about all the the things that you know I wanted to hear from him, uh, his legacy, his family, and, and you know beyond that, just the fun stuff about Seinfeld and pranks and uh, everything else. It, it was as good as it can get. Uh, it was a home run. So, when I was trying to figure out what guests to come on this week, you know, I tossed around a couple ideas, and the bottom line is, Eli is always going to be the standard, and, you know, we had to follow Eli up with really what I felt as though was going to be an interview of substance. I wanted to be timely with the Giants, you know, right now at 0-3, there aren't a lot of people talking a lot about how good things are, and... You know, I thought of Graham Gano because all of the emotion for the Giants the last couple weeks that we've seen, you know, the kick in the teeth finishes that they had in Washington and at home, Graham Gano did it to the Giants twice before he came here when he was a Carolina Panther. So he could speak to those emotions both ends, being a captain. Uh, so I thought Graham Gano was a great person to bring on, especially with everything that he's got going on and, and the streak that he has. Uh, I think you'll you'll enjoy this interview with Graham Gano. We did it on Wednesday, right after practice. And just as a a quick aside, you know, we were on the patio behind the Giants facility by the practice fields, and it was during the media session. So during the interview, you may hear some uh, scuttlebutt in the background. It's just other reporters. Uh, waiting for other interviews at the podium uh, at the Giants as Graham and I were sitting there and doing the podcast so again, part of the real life part of beat life, that's just the way it is Uh, so I hope you enjoy the interview with Graham All Alright, it's time for my interview with Graham Gano, Giants kicker captain this year Uh, Graham, thanks for joining me we're here getting ready for New Orleans week uh, coming off of Sunday beautiful day today, right? This is really football weather.
1: Yeah, it's it's great starting to get a little chill in the air um, Which I'm sure comes quicker here than in most places, but uh, but yeah, definitely is good football weather day
2: Um, You know you, you saw my my cheat sheet with my questions about my first question is that you know I know when I'm sitting here talking to to a kicker who's we'll get to that in a second made enough kicks in a row, but do you, do you believe that something could be jinxed or, or superstitions or yeah.
1: anything like that? Um, I, I, don't, I honestly don't believe in it. I mean, you know, I think it comes down to practice and preparation. And um, I think, uh, was it my snapper in Carolina, JJ Jansen, used to say, I think it was from a show, he's like, I'm not superstitious, I'm, you know, a little stitious. Yeah. Um, that was The but, Office. Yeah, it was The Office. He loved that show. But, uh, yeah, I mean, some guys have superstitions. I, I tend not to believe in them because then I, I feel like you're. uh. You're believing in things that are, you know, out of your control, and, and um, you know, I'm, I'm very uh, faith-based, and I feel like, you know, I've been given the talent and the ability, and, and it's what you do with that. It's the hard work you put in and, and the, everybody around you, so I tend not to believe uh, in that stuff, but um, I know a lot of people do, but I just try to, you know, do the same thing I'm doing and, and uh, try to stay even keel and, and not get too high or not get too low.
2: Well, good. So then you're not going to blame me for the next question, but obviously... <laughs> You're aware of it. People have talked to you about it. you made a team record, 37 field goals in a row, dating back to last season. The fourth longest streak in NFL history. I mean, when you put it in that perspective, and then you throw in the idea that Adam Vinatieri has the record at 44. So, obviously within range i know you're kick to kick mm-hmm. but when did you first become aware of the run you're on I and mean, even though it was dated back to last year and yeah what do you consider to be your secret to success right now
1: i think um i mean i usually end up hearing about it because uh there are folks like yourself ask me questions about them and sometimes i don't really want to know but uh, at the end of the day i'm like well you know if you know and and uh, like you were saying i just go kick by kick so I just tried to kick, take it one kick at a time. I mean, I understood last year, I think it was against Baltimore, we had a 40 plus yarder into the wind. And I knew that it was the, I think the kick to tie the record for the Giants. And so, you know, there's that in your mind, but at the same time you have to block all that out. And, uh, and you know, just focus on doing what you need to do. Um, you know, in that specific kick, the wind was in our face. So there's a few different things I had to do to, uh, to try and make that kick. But, um, and then I think the next one was against Dallas or something like that at home, but. Uh, but yeah I mean I don't think it's any I don't think it's harmful to know I mean I'm sure it'd be easier not to know but um, at the end of the day I mean it's just something you just got to deal with and um, you know I remember watching Adam uh, with that record and how special that was so uh, the way I look at it you know if if it happens you know that I end up getting up there that's fine and you know if not I'll just start another streak so that's that's kind of the way I I look at things
2: I guess any any record that you would be attached similar to being mentioned with Adam Fittitieri yeah. is always not a bad thing.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, he's uh, one of the greats, and anytime you know, you're know you mentioned with his name, and I know I think it's Gary Anderson's up there with yep. uh, 40, and he did it twice, which was I thought so it was pretty cool. And uh, I mean, there's you know countless guys that have that, have, that are up there, and, and I just think it's really neat to be able to to be mentioned in, in the likes of those.
2: Uh, you look around the league; there are incredible kicks made seemingly every week. You were on the opposite sideline for back to back the last two weeks mm-hmm. of walk off kicks and the craziness down in Washington when that happened. Well, you obviously beat the Giants not once but twice on walk offs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. What is that like to, to be the opposing kicker, watching the guy line it up for Yeah,
1: the- it's it's tough. Um, it's, it is it is kind of like a fraternity in the kicking world. Um, I always say I never root against guys, like individual guys, you know, and their success. Um, and I know biblically it talks about, you know, not um, wishing any, like, ill will on anybody anyways. But uh, in those situations, at the end of the day, I want to win. And, you know, you <laughs> want the team to win. So, yeah. Um, I wouldn't really say it's tough because I, I want to win more than you know anything else, but uh, you don't want to wish anything bad on the on the other guy as well. So um, it's it's hard though. You you wish it was the other way around. You know I wish I was the one kicking the ball and not the other guys, but um, it just shows you, you know how close we are to, to winning those games. And, and it's um, I mean I feel like that's the NFL. You know everybody's everybody's good at this level, and and uh, yeah you know it's it's tough to see them go through, but you know, it is what it is.
2: What when it comes down to you've been like I said you've been in those situations you've kicked game-winning field goals as the clock hits zero
1: Mm -hmm.
2: speak to the emotions of of a kicker in that spot you know sometimes you hear it's the loneliest spot to be but that's kind of what you guys train for right
1: yeah for sure um you know ever since I was a kid uh been kicking a ball and you know I love scoring goals in soccer I loved uh kicking field goals in high school and and uh, I was mainly a punter in college at Florida State, but um, I still wanted to be the field goal kicker because that's, you know, the guy that scores the points and that has those chances to win games. And and uh, it's kind of what you always dream of. So that's, you know, what I chose to pursue in the NFL. And and uh, I, uh, you remember the game winners. You remember the ones you missed and you learn from them. But, um, you know, I can remember in, in great detail all of them and, you know, what I could have done better on the, the ones I've missed and, and what went right on the ones I made. And, and. Um, but yeah those are the moments you dream of uh it's it's a lot of fun um you want those moments and and uh yeah uh, there's so much excitement but at the same time you go out on the field and i feel like that with the years i've been playing it's kind of just like another kick. You know, you got to stay, I was saying earlier, you just got to stay even keel and, and not let your emotions get too high or too low. And I feel like that's why you see me on field goal hit a field or on TV hit a field goal. I've just got my face is just stoic. So I try to just stay in the moment and not uh, not let the emotions really get to me.
2: I assume you didn't, you obviously didn't see it live because you guys are just coming off the field, but what did you think about Tucker's? Uh, yeah. Justin Tucker's 66 yard.
1: Um, unbelievable. So after the game, uh, I usually look to see how my buddies have done and uh ryan santoso was kicking for the lions so i saw the score i think it was 1917 and and so i'm like i wonder how he did so i looked and he had the get or the uh go-ahead field goal with a minute left and then i looked at the bottom it said justin tucker 66 yard field goal and i said okay that's got to be a typo because on uh was it on espn sometimes it'll say say it's like a 46 it'll say it's a 56 you know they add 10 and uh, so i was like that's got to be the case and then sure enough found out it wasn't (laughs) and i was not surprised um He and I, usually when we're kicking against each other, we go back and forth, you know, in warm-ups to see who can hit the furthest without really saying much to each other. But uh, it's one of those just, I guess, every time we kick against each other, we do it. Um, But yeah, happy for him. That's a... That's a record that I've uh, had my eye on for a long time. You know, I think every kicker does, and and uh, to see him hit a, hit a kick like that, knowing how rare those opportunities are, it's it's, it's very exciting to they, see that.
2: They say you test in pregame, right, to see how far you were. I mm-hmm. guess he had all of 66 yards on
1: that kick. Yeah, for sure. He uh, I read that he was short from 65 warmups, and he made a little adjustment. So that was it. Was cool to see uh, as another kicker. You know, just have so much respect for that type of moment because every single thing has to go right and. Uh, you know, it's, it's exciting to be able to see that form.
2: What's the kick you're most proud of?
1: Oh man, um, that's a tough one. There's There's been a lot of exciting kicks uh, in my career. Um, just, I mean, shoot, dating back to high school. I still remember, you know, celebrating with the guys and, and all that, but uh, we had a game against the Colts. It was actually against Adam Vinatieri and uh, I think I was the first kicker to hit two field goals in overtime, and Adam had hit I think a 50-yarder, and in that game, and it was pouring rain. Monday night football, you know, the, the game went into the next day, so it was like Tuesday morning, <laughs> and I uh, had a 52-yarder f- um, to win the game. So that was that was pretty memorable. Was to keep us undefeated in Carolina, and uh, I think just the the moment, you know, is is to keep the undefeated season going, you're going against the greatest kicker of all time and it's pouring rain, you know, big time game. So that was, that was uh, probably my most memorable That's one.
2: That's great. Well, now I got to go to the other end of the spectrum. What's the worst feeling you've ever had after a missed
1: kick? Um, Could man, anything, so my, uh, my first game kicking on varsity in high school as a sophomore and uh, it was homecoming. And so they sent us out for a 45 yard field goal, at the end of the game to win the game, homecoming for the school and I was, you know, a young kid and I hit this thing right down the middle and I'm ready to celebrate and it's going, 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 hits the crossbar and bounces out. And so I'll never forget, my dad came up to me after the game and he said, I-, I want you to remember what this feels like right now. He's like, in your lowest moment, I want you to remember this. And he's like, remember every detail because when the next opportunity comes and you make the kick, you're gonna remember that and it's gonna make that moment that much better. So That's cool. um, as terrible as a, of a moment it was at the time, you know, it, it ended up, uh, kind of shaping me and 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 as a kicker and i was uh thankful for it
2: people see you now and your x money how many years is this now Uh, 13
1: 21 kicking a ball though kicking a football i think so
2: (laughs) but you know 13th when you're in the nfl for this long There's probably not an appreciation for the twists and turns of your career. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know after the one year, first year in Baltimore, right, you ended up in the United Football League. Yeah. Right? For the The Las Las Vegas Vegas. Locomotives. And your coach was the late Jim Fossil. Yeah, I didn't know that until you posted really a poignant message about Jim Fossil this summer. Yep. Uh, what was that experience like for you that year? You guys ended up winning the championship.
1: Yeah, we did. Uh, we were training in Casa Grande, Arizona, basically the desert. We had uh, sandstorms roll through practice, and our uh, the place that we stayed at was a Holiday Inn, you know, in, in town. And I mean, no kidding. There's Roadrunners, Scorpions on the field. It was, you know, the, the whole nine yards. And and uh, but it was so much fun. I mean, it was like another opportunity for me to to be able to play the game. You know, I love and. And Coach Fossil gave me the, the opportunity to do that, and gave me a lot of good opportunities during the season. Believed in me, and and uh, you know because of that league, I was able to get other opportunities after that. So I had so much uh, to thank you know him for, and and um, but yeah, that league was so much fun. That's that's what I remember most was how much fun we had as a team, and and how much fun he made the game for us. What's your best fossil
2: story?
1: You have
2: one, uh, <laughs> or something that
1: came. <laughs> so back we to had you know? a the the league didn't have a whole lot of money. You know we weren't we weren't paid a a whole lot. And it was mainly a lot of guys that were still trying to make it into the NFL or guys that had played in the league that just were playing for fun. And so I hit a kick in practice and hit the camera on the camera tower and just destroyed it. Pieces went flying, and I remember Coach Fossil coming up to me and saying, "You know that's going to come out of your paycheck, right?" And I didn't have much money at all, and and I was thinking to myself, "You've got to be kidding! Like I can't afford to pay for a camera." And he just starts laughing. He's like, "I'm just kidding. We'll take care of it. You know, we got insurance for that type of stuff." But uh, Yeah, he was a, he was a great man, and and uh, you know, there's so many great stories I could tell about him. But yeah, he's a. Uh, He's a great man. I had so much to, to thank him for.
2: And you kicked the game-winning field goal to win that championship, right?
1: We did. We were going against, um, let's see, the Florida Tuskers, I think it was, and it was a 33-yard field goal. And uh, that was exciting, you know, for for probably the, the tens of fans that we had in the stands. <laughs> uh, it was a good moment for us.
2: So I saw this yesterday. I had to bring it up to you. November 6, 1869, the first football game. Uh Rutgers and what is now Princeton, and the mm-hmm. first points were credited to S. G. Gano.
1: S. G. Gano and uh, Dixon as well, with the same spelling as uh, as Riley here on our team.
2: Is there any relate? I mean, I gotta go way, way back, but yeah, do, have you heard
0: of any? My,
1: uh, I think my dad did the um, what do you call it, the, ancestry. The ancestry type thing, and I, we are related. Um, I think it's wow. on like a, a different side of the family, but there is a relation and. Uh, I think the first person to show me that was uh, my old coach, Bruce DeHaven. Um, he passed away as well, but uh, played I coached balance. for the Bills for a long time. And, okay. and he brought it up to me one day in Carolina and said, Hey, would you look at this? And I couldn't believe it. So, yeah, it's pretty neat just to think uh, the Ganoas have been kicking for generations now.
2: The guy who had to wait to finally kick until his senior year at Florida State... Has a familial connection to the first points ever scored. Yeah, in
1: it's football. it's pretty pretty wild, pretty neat. I, I've got that a uh, picture laminated in, in my house, and yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh,
2: all right, we're gonna do the two minute drill now. So one football question and three like fun off the beaten path questions. Uh, football question: What is the toughest place you'd ever have to kick?
1: Toughest place to kick? Um, I would have said Washington when I played there <laughs> because it was pretty rough. And I uh, I could have kicked a lot better back then, but uh, thankful for that. Um, I'd probably say Buffalo. Buffalo, what
2: about it? Just just uh, windy. Conditions?
1: Yeah, it's probably just the wind. I mean, there's a handful of stadiums like that, but uh, I mean, you, I thought that I was supposed to rattle these off, so I just picked Buffalo. I don't, no, it's <laughs> good. You
2: could elaborate a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's a little windy. Uh, uh, Chicago stuff. That that might be actually be the toughest. Uh, tall grass, windy stadium. Uh, cold weather, but, yeah, there's there's a handful. Did
2: you ever kick in the old Giants Stadium, No right?
1: I didn't, no. I think uh, I came into the NFL the year after they uh, they built yeah, MetLife.
2: Uh, how would you compare MetLife to those?
1: It's windy. Uh, this past game um, was one of the windiest games I've kicked in here, or in general, really, and they said it was, this was a lot like the old Meadowlands Stadium Gotcha. Um, with this past game. I mean, I, had, I hit one field goal in warm-ups from 60 yards and hit the net, and then uh, the very next kick from 65, I was five yards short in the end zone. So I mean, that was a 15, 20 yard swing in just one kick. So yeah, it was uh, it was breezy and had 50 yarders falling short in ups And uh, yeah, so that was, it, it gets interesting at times.
2: All right, not that football isn't fun, but let's do the fun stuff. If you can go to one concert, whether it's some, an act that's still in existence, Oh, passed man. away. What would
1: it be? I would love to have seen Journey. Uh, yeah, like back in the day, you know, when uh, before uh, was, was it their singer passed away. But uh, yeah, I would have really liked to see them. Why? Have you
2: seen them now?
1: I haven't. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't had the chance yet. I think they're. I don't. I'm not sure if they were here not too long ago. Yeah, but,
2: I'm not sure. I know that I've seen things, uh, stories about the lead singer who took over.
1: In yeah, Journey. Uh, I think they found good. them on YouTube or something like that. Yeah, yeah I, I'd like, like to check anyone, it out.
2: Uh, anyone who. Watches The Sopranos is you know, forever connected to Journey now with the, the don't stop believing at the end. So that's awesome. If you're in New Jersey, you, you know Journey. Uh, what's the best meal you've ever had?
1: Anything my wife cooks. I knew you were going right. go that route. That's right. I mean it. She's a she's a fantastic cook. Um, <laughs> I love every meal. Every meal she's cooked. Well, what you go to? I'm sticking to it. What your go um, to? Shoot, there's a lot of things, but the thing is popping in my head right now is a uh, chicken pot pie oh my goodness I think it's just because I'm hungry and it's about lunchtime but uh yeah I haven't had that in a while so I'm, I might have to next time I'm home see if she can make that cool uh
2: and if you this is you know what this is a silly silly question so I'm gonna skip it I'm gonna I'm gonna improvise and just go off of a question that I didn't ask you um notice that you write on your knuckles yep before the game when did that start what do you write is it the same
1: thing It's funny time? Uh, not many people notice that it's um it's my wife's initials and I've been doing it since I was in college since sophomore year and uh so there's there's been uh her initials have changed since then and then I also write my uh, children's initials so there's a lot on there and then uh I write 143 for I love you um gotcha. for the the number of letters in each word um uh, but yeah I've been doing it ever since so uh, for a while, I was thinking I was running out of room after, <laughs> after our fourth and fifth kid. But, uh, yeah, I've done that ever since college and don't plan on stopping.
2: Awesome. Well, see, for a guy who doesn't believe in jinxes and is not necessarily superstitious, you have some routines that yeah, you stick there's, to Yeah, there's there's some the
1: routines I stick to. I wouldn't call them superstitions. You know, there's been times I've forgotten to do things here and there. And, it, I mean, it's just whatever. You know, you forget and you, you just try to remember next time.
2: Graham Gano, the only thing I ask you when you get down to New Orleans, that first kick – Put it through the upright, so I don't have to hear.
1: Oh,
2: you know, <laughs> he, he went on the podcast all in. You know, he, you
1: know it wouldn't be your fault, anyways. That I, I uh, it's my job to make them, and and uh, you know, I just try to do my best.
2: Well, I wish you the best of luck. Obviously, see the rest of the season. Always look look forward to covering you, and good luck in New Orleans
1: on Sunday. All right, I appreciate it. Go Giants.
2: So, as I said, thanks a lot to Graham Gano for joining me, and I, you know, I love some of these interviews. I, I want to give the Giants fan and listeners of all in just a glimpse of who these players are and not just currently what they're doing now, but I think they all have great stories to tell. And, uh, you know, I try to be uh, as much a storyteller in the interviews for the podcast uh, as I would, uh, you know, on the pages of the record or on the pages of North and USA today network. So hope you enjoyed that from Graham. I thought a lot of it interesting. How about that connection to the the birth of college football, huh? Rutgers and Princeton and having a guy named Gonneau, uh account for the first points, and it turns out that his father was able to f- kind of trace the roots and find out that they're a distant, distant cousin. Pretty crazy. So thanks again to Graham. For our Behind Frenemy Lines segment, I reached out to Luke Johnson and a couple other reporters for – Uh, the Saints, to be quite honest. And they've had a heck of a month down there. So Luke was gracious enough to join me. And what I wanted to find out from him was not just a sense of where the Saints are right now, sitting at two and one. They blew out the Packers in the season opener. Then they end up losing to the Panthers. And then they beat the Patriots up in Foxborough. But what is the feel for this team? Where are they at? And obviously, we had to touch on the emotions of Sunday and what the Giants are walking into. Over 600 days, Saints fans have waited to pack the Superdome, which was an impossible place for the Giants that had winning teams to go in there and play. And now, Joe Judge has to take this team at 0-3 and kind of a lot of questions surrounding different spots on this team and go down there in New Orleans. So I think you'll like Luke's interview and have at it and enjoy my time with Luke Johnson of the New Orleans Advocate and the Times-Picayune. All right, it's all in with Art Stapleton, and it's now time for our Behind the Frenemy Lines segment. This week's guest, Luke Johnson, Saints beat writer for the New Orleans Advocate and Times-Picayune. Luke, it's been a wild three weeks starting for the Saints. We'll get to that later, but welcome to the show thanks
0: man it's nice to put a, a voice to uh to an online persona <laughs> i think we followed each other on twitter for a couple so i've never actually had a chance to talk to you so it's nice doing that
2: here absolutely and i think the last time the giants and the saints hooked up down in new orleans was the 52 49 masterpiece slash disaster debacle for the giants when drew Brees threw for what 107 touchdowns against the giants that day and they won the game
0: yeah i think that's about right now i remember when we were putting together our, our Retrospective stuff at the end of the year. Uh, A lot of us (laughs) ended up going back to that game as one of his career highlights. Absolutely insane game uh, by both him and Eli. I I kind of don't expect we'll see something like that on Sunday, but I will uh, gladly glad to tell you it if we can get one like it.
2: Boy, I tell you, if, if somehow Jason Garrett and the Giants offense can do that this weekend, I think Giants fans might be uh, probably passed out by the third quarter if that somehow <laughs> happened. Uh, so let's Sheer talk yeah exactly uh so let's talk three three games into life without drew Brees, and i know everyone in new orleans was kind of dreading that day for years what has it been like not having drew just his presence around this team and i know right now it's three weeks into a season but even through the summer and and not having breeze in attendance what kind of different feel did it give to the Saints?
0: Yeah. Was uh, that much different? Uh, Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to take anything away from Drew and and what he meant to the team as a leader. I I think uh, the the biggest thing has been his influence on, on, uh, on like the game day atmosphere, right? And and just knowing has the confidence in like a quarterback, like in a two-minute scenario or something like that. Like that confidence on the team was huge. And there's so many little that Drew had his tendrils in like every single little part of the offense, and people are. The last couple of years, just talking about him and his arm strength, and how they don't have the deep threat anymore, and how that's you know once they, they get a quarterback in there who can launch downfield, they'll be all right. And they see you know week two, and when, when Jameis is getting sacked or pressured on every other play, um, they're like. a lot of other places would when you're when you're talking about a, a quarterback of, of Drew Brees' stature leaving the team.
2: Gotcha. Let, let's stick with the quarterback and obviously uh, Jameis coming in. He's gotten a lot of national attention, but from your perspective, what have you seen as the biggest reason for the success he's had so far?
0: Well, I think for the most part, um, he is, he's done a really good job of just what they're asking him to do, uh, which hasn't been much. I think through three weeks, they've got... Pass attempts, uh, which is like ten less than Tom Brady had last week against Rams. Right, <laughs> you know they—they they, they are just—they're they're playing a, a very conservative approach offensively, uh, and they're asking him to make the plays that are available, um, uh, to not be uh, careless with the ball, and—and—and uh, and, and that's about it, right? And—and and there's been a, a couple plays that he's made that have been. Uh, just uh, he makes it, and you're like, well, that's that's hasn't been here in the offense for a while." And they're they're doing this without Michael Thomas, and without uh, Traquan Smith, who uh, our listeners probably don't know who he is, but he's he's a uh, key part of their offense as like a third receiver and as a blocking receiver. Um, yeah, they're they're with their starting center, who's a very very good young player, Eric McCoy. and Now they're looking at being with Teron Armstead, so I, I don't think they want to they want to put too much on Jameis' plate yet. Um, then there's also been some plays where you've know, you, you had him and, and you're like the first thing out of your mouth is same old Jameis, right? Right. And it's probably unfair to him uh, because it's, that's what people are looking for. Uh, but it's, it's been obvious when it happens. A couple times it's worked out in their favor. He's had two touchdown passes where he's, he's thrown it, fallen off his back, but like literally fall down with a guy draped all over him. He just kind of threw a jump ball up, and, and both times his receivers caught it. And then there's been a couple more where he's thrown it deep downfield uh, in the same sort of deal where where he's fallen down or he's on the move, you know, and and he's thrown it into coverage and it's not even close and it's an interception. Um, yeah, you know, I think those plays are probably they're probably not going to push those out of him. Yeah, I think that's I think this is really just who who he is at times. You, you got to live with it, but I think at some point they're going to have to live with it while they're also getting more of the explosive benefits of, of Jameis Winston because they, we've seen it throughout training camp that he, he really is a talented player. And they're kind of asking him to kind of play with the governor right now. But at some point, they're going to need him to go out and, and let it rip. And I, I think it's coming at some point. I just don't know when. They've just been very, very conservative
2: with him. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the Giants in week one going against the Broncos, it was in the preseason or at least, you know, before Teddy Bridgewater was given that job or won that job. The idea was, well, the Giants defensively might be better off against Drew Locke because he's going to put the ball up and maybe get some chances. It sounds like, you know, going into this week, Giants Giants fans who are still have hope, which there aren't many at, at 0-3, to be honest, are hoping that Jameis comes out and is Jameis from his Tampa Bay days, where he's throwing the ball all over. I would imagine, like you've said, the, the Saints are what Alvin Kamara is, right? I mean, they're, they're going to ride Kamara, and that would lead me to my next point of how different are they using Kamara this year without Breeze and Michael Thomas, like you mentioned, or, or is it the same old uh, Kamara that we've come to really appreciate, even outside of... Fantasy.
0: Yeah, I mean, they've been, they've been using him heavily. Uh, it's been a big change, actually, this year. Uh, and they, they're really treating him like kind of a bell cow back. Um, you know, he's had two games with 20-plus carries uh, so far, and uh, and I, I, don't, I think he only had one of those in his first four seasons. Um, combined, uh, so they're really, really leaning hard on their on their game. I think they, they feel very confident in that. They know that's kind of where their bread is buttered. They have a very good offensive line, and, and I think they have a very good offensive line, even down to very good starters. Um, they've just developed guys really well, and uh, and they're, they coach them really well. Um, their, their scheme is really sound, and they, they are really confident in in um, just just sticking with it. I, I mean, last week uh, I think Kamara had touches on ten of their first 15 offensive plays, um, and a lot of those were just, you know, their outside zone, outside zone, outside zone, and, uh, and you know, trying to set up third and short and, and, and let Jameis get to that. Um, so that's been the big difference. This year. We haven't seen him go off for, like, a really big game yet. Uh, I think that's because uh, without Drew here, without Michael Thomas here, uh, opposing defenses have just been – completely locked in on him and, and just saying "We are not gonna let you beat us and uh yeah you know, some cases it worked uh, you know carolina absolutely shut him out of that ball game at like 30 total offensive yards um and you know he, he didn't have a huge game against either green bay or or uh or new england but he he had a, a big impact in the game from what the saints wanted them to do that's yeah you know, they wanted to control the ball and they wanted to to kind of grind the defense out and wear it out and then let their defense go out and win a game. Uh, So that's kind of what we've seen so far. And if if they look at this, this passing offense opened up the way I, I kind of anticipated will at some point. I, I think you probably see Kamara explode for a couple of huge games because he'll finally have some
2: room to operate. You know, all the talk about the offense, and you mentioned the big names, really the big personalities on this team, big players are on the defensive side of the ball. DeMario Davis, as you mentioned, Cam Jordan, Marshawn Lattimore, uh, those guys, is this defense kind of overlooked, do you think? I mean, I don't know if you could watch what they did to the Packers in Week 1 and overlook this defense, but it seems to me that, you know, there's a method to Sean Payton's madness. You play conservative a little bit on offense because you know how good your defense can be. Is that fair? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, look, I think this defense is overlooked, and I think it's perennially overlooked, and that's just a they're really, that's a, that's a byproduct of how good their offense has been over the years. Um, yeah, Sean Payton and the Saints have, have completely built their reputation on that. And the defense has kind of just been you know there. Some years it's been there in a bad sense. <laughs> uh, but lately, you know, these last probably four seasons, they've been pretty consistently a top-ten defense. Last year they were a top-five defense, and I think they can beat that again this year. I mean, they've got studs at every single level. And Sean Payton knows that. You know, Sean Payton knows that he's got – uh, three really good defensive ends, and he's got probably best one of the best three middle linebackers in football. Uh, and their secondary, uh, top to bottom, is is very, very good. They've uh, got really, really good players at all five starting positions there. So. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been relying on those guys to go out and shut down the opposing team and and to, to create turnovers like they did against both Green Bay and the and New England, and uh, and you know, oftentimes they've been playing with a short deal on offense. Yeah, you know, one of their touchdown drives they they started at the nine yard line against. Uh, against New England. They had a couple of those against Green Bay, too. Um, and so they haven't needed to go out and, and swing the ball around the yard because um, because their, their defense was kind of controlling the ball game from that side of things. And they're like, okay, well, let's just play keep away on the other side and then put a couple points on the board and, and win a game that way. Um, you know, I, I think probably the, the strength of this of this uh the Saints defense is in its its front. Um, they've been playing some some kind of those, those Nascar packages with yeah. three defensive linemen on the field and uh, three defensive ends rather. Um, they've been using Tano Passigno you know, as a interior rusher in those kind of third and third and medium, third and long situations and then they put you know their their base linebacker their uh, sub package linebackers on the field so it's been like DeMario Davis and rookie Pete Werner and then CJ Gardner Johnson, their outstanding nickelback, is essentially a linebacker. Um, he's not; it doesn't look like it. He's only about 205 pounds, but he's so physical, um, consistently making plays behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, this past week, he just somehow bull-rushed the Patriots' right tackle and knocked him on the ground. He's just really, really strong, um, and, and yeah, that's uh, that's a, a, an alignment that has really worked for him. And um, and they've, they've just been really solid. Even in the game against the Patriots, the, or, or the Panthers, um, you know, they were on the field for like 45 minutes in that game. Yeah. You know, offense that only ran like 40 plays, the Saints' offense did. And, and I think they still played pretty well in that game, despite the fact they were down like six starters. So. Um, really, really good good defensive football team. I, I think that's going to be kind of the, the identity of this team by the end of the season. It's going to be what they're known for.
2: Well, I know what the city of New Orleans is known for, and that's resiliency. I don't think anyone will ever question that. Uh, you know, we talk offense. We talk defense. Obviously, special teams down there in New Orleans as well. But there's that X factor. And for the first time in 657 days the New Orleans fans will pack that dome and have a chance to root on the saints, uh, that atmosphere. What, what are the giants walking into on, uh, on Sunday?
0: Yeah, I really, I, I kind of feel bad for, for Daniel Jones and company right now. Um, that, that's, that's going to be really, really hard. I think, um, I people here are, are really looking forward to this, man. Um, yeah, it, it is, uh, Look, New Orleans has, has kind of been um, it was one of the early hot spots I you know, it and probably doesn't mean anything to people up in New York I know how bad it was up there but it was pretty bad down here early too after Mardi Gras um, and uh, and you know we we've been kind of in lockdown for for a significant chunk of this past year and uh, and this is this is like this is one of the main things people look forward to throughout a year. And really I think the biggest crowd they had in the dome last year was like 7,000. Um, so they are absolutely, they cannot wait for this. And the fact that they've had to wait an extra three weeks to go out there and get in the Superdome, um, you know, <laughs> people are ready, man. And it is going to be, uh, just an insane environment there on Sunday. I guarantee it. And, uh, and it's going to be very, very loud and probably very hard to communicate for the giants. So, um, that's I, I, I'm, I'm expecting that. And I, I am almost guaranteeing that it is going to be insane in there.
2: So I'd be remiss. And I really appreciate your time. It's Luke Johnson uh, from The Advocate and The Times Picky uh, the My last question to you would kind of be a little bit of a personal one. And I know we talked about it uh, slightly before we got on, on the show. Uh, give me a sense of what this past month or so has been, not just from the Saints, but covering the Saints for people you know in the city, family, yourself. Uh, it, it, in the aftermath of IDA, uh, I don't think anyone uh, – could prepare for something like that, but certainly you guys have been through it down there a number of times. What, what is the emotions of actually, you know, you're back home finally for, for the really the first time extensively. What, what's it been like? And you know, how have you guys made it through.
0: Yeah. So, so I mean the hurricane hit a lot, a lot of people here left town. I basically all my, all my really good friends, uh, and a lot of family were, were out of here. Right. Um, yeah, I think people, people have, have kind of been through that before and they've seen, um, They've seen what a, a really, really big storm that was kind of coming right off the gut uh, can do. Uh, I don't think anybody wanted to mess around with it. So a lot of people left town. I, my wife and I actually stayed here. Um, she was coincidentally um, covering the storm for the New York Times. She's a journalist here, too. Wow. And uh, so so we, we stayed for the storm, and uh, it was pretty gnarly down here. And then the uh, day after the storm, um, you know, we, we'd obviously lost power, and, and there was... Um, the city was like, okay, well, we're looking at, like, probably a couple weeks without power. And uh, so we decided uh, we decided to get out of town at that point. The Saints had already left for Dallas. Um, so my wife and I packed up, and we took our two dogs to a tiny little hotel room in, uh, in Pensacola, Florida. Thank you, Marriott, for, uh, for the points there. <laughs> um, went from there to Memphis, Tennessee, which is about seven hours away, to, like, a farmhouse. Uh, covered the team remotely for a week. And then the Saints were saying, like, okay, well, we're still going to be here in Dallas for a while, potentially up to up to a month. Uh, so I went across the, to Dallas, another, like, seven-hour drive, covered the team there for a couple weeks. And then the team, you know, we, we were in Dallas. So I went from Pensacola to Memphis to Dallas. And then they said, well, we're not going to play our home game in New Orleans because, you know, stuff's not ready there yet. So, uh, so then flew from Dallas to Jacksonville back to Dallas. Week two was in Charlotte, flew to that game and came back. And then the Saints were in COVID protocol. So thankfully they had, uh, yeah, for me, for my sake, they had uh, yeah, they, they switched everything to remote. Um, so I was able to, had landed from Charlotte, drove seven hours back to New Orleans. <laughs> participated in zooms for a couple of days and then flew to boston and the team has just been living out of a hotel for a month right it looked like those guys had it much worse uh and then much worse than either me or the team or all these people who are especially in southeast louisiana like uh you know these little these little parishes in the coastal part of the the, the state have just just absolutely wrecked yeah people are still living out of temporary housing down there um I, I mean it's just it's been crazy it's it's been absolutely nuts i've, I've never experienced anything like this um you know and I, we got through it i got through it uh the beat got through it the saints got through it everybody's home and uh and very very happy to be here um you know, it's been a, a long month <laughs> and uh yeah i think the saints you were being—if uh, you're giving them all a truth serum right now and asking them if they were happy to be two and one after going through, you know, kind of a month from hell—I think they'd all be very, very happy, ecstatic to be where they are right now. So, um, yeah, it's been, been a while, man. I'm, I'm just—I'm glad to be sleeping in my own bed and, and be back in this. 90 degrees and 100% humidity, miserable weather down here. I actually <laughs> somehow missed it after a
2: couple couple weeks away. I could only imagine. I mean, It speaks to the spirit of the city and, like I said, the resiliency. We saw Katrina and obviously now uh, coming back from Ida. You know, all the best to everyone down there. Uh, like you said, just because some areas look like everything's back to normal, I'm sure there are still some people suffering. So obviously, all the best out there. And uh, I really appreciate your time in 20 minutes. This is this has been great. Like you said, it's a little better than, you know, direct messages on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, follow Luke, by Luke Johnson. Uh, great coverage down there of the Saints. Obviously, Sean Payton still has, you know, Giants ties down there. And, um, you know, Luke, listen, great, great job as always. I appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you on Sunday.
0: Yeah, sounds good, Art. Let me know if you need any uh, any recommendations for food. I got
2: you covered down uh, here. I covered a Super Bowl down there. So I think I'm still full from the week that I spent down in New Orleans. But absolutely, I will be in touch. <laughs>
0: Good. Thanks for
2: having me on. Thanks again to Luke for his time, and obviously all of our all our thoughts for everyone down in Louisiana. Um, I'm eager to get down there this weekend. Uh, I have to be honest; I'm a little apprehensive to see certain parts of the city. Uh, I know the fighting spirit, and I know the resiliency of trying to get everybody back. But sometimes, you know, I remember after nine eleven being up here in New Jersey and New York, and obviously after Sandy. The idea of while life moves on and everyone kind of has to move forward, there are still reminders of uh, what transpired and and some of the real hard lessons that people are forced to endure. So, again, thanks to Luke. And uh, looking forward to catching up with him more on Sunday down in New Orleans. So, as we mentioned in the open, Typical Sportsbook has the Giants as 7.5-point underdogs down in New Orleans and to be honest i'd be surprised if it's that close you know i had the giants winning both in washington which they covered i had the giants winning against the falcons and they did not so this weekend i i i have the i don't think you can go against the saints in this spot the giants are are really going to start their fourth left guard in as many games cuz Ben Bredesen has a hand injury that's likely to keep him out at least several weeks. What will the Giants do up front to combat the Saints' defensive front? As you heard Luke say, the defensive mentality for the Saints is to attack and be aggressive. Maybe Daniel Jones is a little bit more active in the RPO game and the read option, which was non-existent against Atlanta. I think maybe they have some moments... This is a game that the Giants' best players need to step up for them to have a chance. They need to do more. They need more from Saquon Barkley. They need more from Logan Ryan, Leonard Williams, Kenny Galladay. You know, these are guys that need to step up and perform at a high level. James Bradbury. You know, the Saints don't have Michael Thomas. They're not out there throwing weapons down the field. Jameis Winston is going to be conservative, you would think, anyway. As Luke told us. So I think it's a matter of they're going to need some of these stars to really step up and make game-changing plays. They're talented enough. They just haven't done it yet. And I don't know if you can have confidence that they're going to go into this atmosphere, this building, these emotions for this fan base and be able to have a shot to beat the Saints. So unfortunately, I think the Giants will be heading to Dallas as will I, and they'll be 0-4. And, and I would think the circle, the inner circle for Joe Judge and the Giants will get smaller and smaller as we head uh, back into the division for next week in Dallas. But as I've said all along, I, I really appreciate everyone engaging with this podcast and listening. Our numbers continue to grow. The Eli episode Again, we doubled all the downloads and listens from the previous week. So that was tremendous, tremendous job across the board by everyone involved. Paul Wood, Dave Rivera, and Sean Oates. It's kind of our brain trust for this podcast. I want to thank them for all they put in. I want to thank you for your engagement. And like I said, and I've said every week, when you commit yourself to a team, you go with the highs and the lows. I can feel the pain of a fan base, I can feel the emotions, the anger, uh, and really for the Giants, the worst part about it is there is some apathy, but stick with it. I promise you, you are going to get the best coverage that you can get from me of the New York Giants and where they're going, and we're going to get there together because we're all in.